Well, good morning, everyone. Are you well? Some of you are well. Um, we're May. It's May. Graduation's around the corner. Summer's here. Crazy. Hard to believe. Uh, this has been a weird year for me. I've had a lot of strange emotions this year. Um, in February, I turned 60. Those of you that are far older are like, what's the big deal? <clears throat> and those of you who are younger are like, gosh, you're old. Um, personally, I just, I, I didn't like 60. 40, 50 was fine. 60, I'm not so sure about. Uh, and then we celebrated 35 years of marriage this year. <clears throat> but on March 31st, I became a grandfather to these two little boys right here. Identical twin boys. Aren't they the cutest things you have ever seen? <laughs> I'm a grandparent now, so I can do that kind of stuff. I asked Todd, can I show this picture? He goes, better to ask forgiveness and permission. <laughs> so, you know what? I'm preaching, I can do what I want. So I'm going to leave that up there for the next half hour while I preach. <clears throat> Try to pay attention to me. Um, isn't that just amazing? Look how their hands are together. I mean, I could sit here all morning and point out things, but um, anyway. I, I honestly feel like I'm still in my 20s. We were talking back in the booth before, like, I, I still remember third grade and junior high. How, how, how have I gotten here? How am I a grandfather? But life is relentless. It just keeps going by. It goes by fast. And we're always growing, always changing, always, if we're, if we're followers of Jesus, we're maturing in Christ, we're following after him. The process of growing in Christ-likeness is messy. It's like, you know, we do good and then we blow it and we get things squared away over here, and then something over here goes wrong. It's so frustrating. But that's what we want to look at this morning, is this, this messy process of becoming more like Jesus and how it is a witness to the world. Last week, we began a new sermon series called, Can I Get a Witness? And we're looking at 1 Peter as our primary text. We'll be in 1 Peter again. You can turn to chapter 1. If you need a Bible, the guys have Bibles. Just put your hand up, and they'll give you one to borrow or keep. Um, but our key verse for the series is 1 Peter 3.15, and I want to read that out of the Net Bible. Todd used the Net Bible last week, and I, I like how it, how it says what we're trying to get at. 1 Peter 3.15, but set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts. And we're going to keep coming back to that phrase over and over again. Set apart Christ as Lord. Set Christ apart. Set him apart. Make him unique as Lord of your life. And always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you possess. Or the ESV says, asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. As we set apart Christ as Lord, as we continually make him Lord and Master over our lives and over everything in our lives, uh, we should be ready then to give people reasons why we have hope. We sang about hope, and, and we have reasons for that. Everything in our lives need to be, needs to be yielded to the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
everything, even that messy process of growing more like Jesus, of being transformed into the image of his son, that process needs to be yielded to the lordship of Jesus. So today we're going to look how this our witness begins in our own lives, how our witness begins in our own process of growing and maturing into him and, and letting people see that process. We, 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 we prefer to hide it when it gets messy, don't we? It's like, oh, I don't want anybody to see that. Way too often we as followers of Jesus are trying to be the final product already. We want people to see us as complete and mature and finished, right? I want you to see me as not having any problems or issues. But we aren't. We're not there. We're not done. We're not finished. I'm not. You're not. And by allowing people to see this process of Jesus gradually gaining lordship in my life, I testify to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. I actually live out what it looks like to set apart Christ as Lord over my life and over different areas of my life. And it's not always pretty because I don't always do it right. And you don't always do it right. And so this process of growing is messy, but it's a witness. It's a testimony to what Jesus is doing. Now, in order for us to better understand this idea that we're a witness uh, by letting people see the process, uh, we're going to look at some of that process in the life of Peter. Peter, who wrote the epistle, of course, of 1 Peter. Um, his life is the absolute picture of process. He was a rough, coarse fisherman. not Probably not educated, but just a, a blue-collar working man. Jesus calls him. He spends three years walking with Jesus and, and living with Jesus and listening to Jesus' teaching and hearing, hearing Jesus' words. He becomes a major leader in the early church. He writes a couple books of the Bible. But God, in his gracious sovereignty, has recorded a lot of Peter's process for us. We get to see this, this man uh, who, who was a strong leader in the church we get to see his flaws and his foibles. And so, so we're witness to the process, and that's a hope for us. I think it's incredibly encouraging to see all of Peter's mess-ups, because we mess up too. Right? Are we in agreement on that? So the question is, how... Are we a witness by letting people see the process? How does that work? How, how, how does letting people see the process of transformation in my life, how is that a witness? And I suggest here that there are three pieces to this idea of our lives being a witness. The first piece is the Word of God. The Word of God has got to be central. It's got to be key. Uh, I want to read uh, our text today, 1 Peter 1, 22 to 2, 3. This is the text that we're kind of working on. And I want to read through that. That's pretty tiny print, isn't it? Um, so if you have your Bible, follow along there. Uh, I want to read it with some comments as we go. Verse 22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Now, now God's word is 
like seed that does not die. It's this imperishable seed. It doesn't die. It lives and remains and produces life. Seed, by definition, must die in order to produce life. Over in John 12, Jesus said, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it can't produce life. But here Peter is saying that the word of God is like seed that does not die. It continues to give life. It produces life. It lives and remains. It's essential to our growth. Verse 24, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. In other words, unlike grass and flowers that die, God's word lasts forever. It's eternal. I remember as a young man learning that truth and it was an early motivation in my call to ministry. Um, I wanted to do something in my life that would last forever, like I think we all do. We want to make an impact. We want to have a lasting impact. And I realized, I learned that only two things last forever, people and the Word of God. And so that's what I wanted to invest my life into. God's Word lasts forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. It's the gospel. It's what saved us. It's where we learn about how great the Father's love for us is. Chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Now the idea here is not immaturity. Paul uses this idea of the milk of the word as immaturity. Like we should be eating solid food. That's not how Peter's using it here. He's using it in this idea that we should continually be craving the word of God. Just like a baby is continually craving to eat. If you've had a baby, uh, been around a baby, or ever been a baby, uh, you know that when a baby's hungry... He lets the world know, or she, and screams until they're fed. That's the kind of craving Peter is saying we should have for God's word. I'm not saying we should be screaming, you know, until somebody hands us a Bible. Um, But maybe in our spirit, that should be our attitude. I need, I need more. Verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter is talking to those of us who have already tasted how good the Lord is. The more we taste, the more we want. This is good food. Being in the presence of Jesus, learning about him, reading his word, studying, gaining new insights, having him minister in our hearts, giving us hope, that is good food. And the more of it we taste, the more of it we want. Peter walked with Jesus for about three years, listened to him teach, listened to him preach. Um, He heard far more of Jesus' words than we have recorded in in our New Testament. Uh, Peter heard probably just about everything that Jesus said and taught. All those words from Jesus worked, worked into Peter's life and transformed Peter and changed him, and it brought growth and it brought transformation. Even so, Peter messed up a lot, but he got it right a lot too. One night, the disciples were out in their boat, and uh, it was windy, and they were alone. Jesus wasn't with them, and they're out there scared, and, and pretty soon they look out and they see Jesus walking on top of the water, coming to the boat. 
And Peter, eager to be in relationship with Jesus and to know more and to learn more, Peter says, Lord, let me, can I, can I walk out? Can I come too? Peter, you know, gotta love him. And Jesus is like, sure, step out of the boat. So Peter steps out onto the water and he starts walking. And it must, can you even imagine? It's like that summer camp, you know, whenever everything is just awesome and it's this mountain high experience and you're just, you're spiritually on top of everything. And it's just like, whoa, look at me. And that was the problem. He looked at me and he began to sink. And Jesus, Jesus looked at him and he said, you of little faith, you man of little tiny faith. How do you think Peter felt? Oh, man, I blew it. I had it right for a few seconds and then I blew it. Can you relate? Does that sound familiar? Is that like how it goes in your life? Can I get some nods? We're talking about being a witness and sharing with other people. But another time, a lot of Jesus' followers were leaving him. As Jesus was preaching and teaching, his followers were saying, we're done, we're out of here, we're gone. And Jesus looks at his 12 and says, you guys going too? You going to leave me too? And Peter says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Yes, he got that one right. He knew that Jesus was the only one that had the right words to say. He had tasted and he wanted more. Peter's like, I'm not leaving you. I might, my faith might be little. I might make mistakes along the way, but I'm sticking with you because your words are the words of eternal life. A growing hunger and craving for God's word and for relationship with Jesus is essential for growth. It is, it is the first piece. It is, it is an essential piece to setting apart Christ as Lord in our lives and of letting that process be a witness. Peter consumed Jesus' teaching, even though it didn't always register. It won't always register for us either, the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time. But if we keep on feasting, we will learn how good it is. And we'll taste it. And so that craving of, for God's word needs to be there. And let me say this as a, as, a, as, a, as a caveat to that. If there isn't a craving in your life, if you're, not, if you're not like a newborn baby just hungering and thirsting, oh, it's nice to get out of that light, um, hungering and thirsting for, for God's word, then a couple things. Maybe, maybe you're dead. A dead baby doesn't want milk. Maybe you're not even spiritually alive, and so there's no desire for that. Or maybe you're sick. Sometimes sick babies, well, often sick babies don't want to eat. And so look at your heart. Look inside. See, Lord, I don't really care about your word, so am I, am I sick? Am I dead? The second piece in our lives, being a witness, is spiritual growth. So we need the word of God. As we consume God's word, as we take it into our lives, it is the tool that God uses to bring about growth in our walk with Jesus. And letting people see that process of growth is a witness to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Letting people see that sometimes that messy process 
That's a witness. That's a testimony. Peter, getting it right one time, getting it wrong the next time, that's a witness to the process of growth because we're not the final product yet. Don't, don't jump ahead and think I'm the final product. So if I make a mistake, um, I should hide that because I should be the final product. No, you're not. We're not. What, is, what does the growth look like? How do we grow spiritually? Well, there's a positive and there's a negative side to our growth. There are certain things in our life that we need to get rid of and, and put off. T- Peter uses the term put away. Paul uses the term put off. And in Colossians 3, he says put to death and rid yourself. So, so there's these terms of put away, put off, put away. He also, in the positive side, uses the term put on in Ephesians 4. In 1 Peter 2.1, and let me just bring that verse up alone so it's easier to see, he says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. These things need to be cast off. They need to be take, get, get rid of. We don't grow just by sticking our face in the word and consuming it. We also have to ruthlessly root out these sins. And these aren't the only sins that need put away. It's like, oh, okay, I got rid of all those. I'm good. No, we, every sin, any sin in our life needs to be rooted out and put away. Letting people see the process of growth in our lives does not mean we go, hey, look at my sin. Look at, look at my sin. It's bigger and badder than your sin. That's not it. And that's a danger. Oh, we want people to see our process of growth. Okay, well, let me just throw my sin out there for everybody to look at. The point is for the lordship of Jesus to take over more and more of my life. And as he does, we put off these sins. And our awareness of these sins grow as we put on spiritual uh, fruit and as we put our, get ourselves in the word. And as the verses 2 and 3 say, as we long for the pure spiritual milk that by it we may grow up into our salvation. If you've tasted that the Lord is good, those of us that have tasted are continuing to grow. We need it. We taste it. We go, I want more of that. You ever had good food? You ever wanted more of the good food? See, when we taste good stuff, we want more of it. I love to eat. And I love good food. And I'm always bummed that I can't have more. Well, sometimes I do have more. My wife always tells me, you can have more tomorrow. We can eat again. And I agree, but it doesn't always work. Because when we taste something good, we want more. And so Peter is saying, if you've tasted that the Lord is good, then you're going to want more of that. You're going to crave it and desire it. We experience his kindness and his goodness and his faithfulness. Oh, I've experienced the Lord's faithfulness. The last few years, his faithfulness has just been a the, the, the characteristic and the quality and the trait of God that just keeps coming back into my head, and I'm just blown away how faithful he is. Because I think, okay, Lord, you did it that time, but are you going to do it this time? I think, well, of course he is. Because he is faithful. I was like, wow, oh, that's amazing. I don't get it, but I don't deserve it. Of course you don't. That's not the point. He is faithful. As we taste his faithfulness and his goodness and his love and his kindness, we want more of it. But growth is messy. It's often three steps forward, two steps back. 
And sometimes it's two steps forwards and three steps back. Growth might look something like this. We, we read the word and we get a taste of his truth and his faithfulness. And we live our lives and we face hardships and we suffer loss and we suffer pain. We go through difficulties, we experience victories, we taste his promises and we see how good, he, good it is and we see how good he is and we want more. Because we realize he's the only one that can satisfy that hunger. But then we slip and we try to find satisfaction in something else besides him. And so we taste food that's not going to be satisfying. And we fall flat on our face and we repent and we put that sin off. And we move on and we live more life and we read more of his word. We see new truths. We suffer more loss. We experience more difficulties in life. And at times we think God has forgotten us, but then we taste more of his goodness, more of his faithfulness. And even as we fall, we slip into old habits. But then the more we taste, the more we want. Like a screaming, hungry baby, we want to be fed with the hope that is found in Christ alone as the Lord of my life. Does that kind of sound like your life? Forward, backwards, forwards, backwards. Doing good here, bad over here. The reason for the hope that is within us is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life in spite of all that life throws at us. He wins. We just went through Revelation and we saw that the whole point of the book is that there is victory at the end and so we have hope and we hang on and we keep going because he wins and those of us who are his children win with him. And like we Peter, we say, where else would we go? Where else are we going to go? Because he is the only one with the words of eternal life. But then we try and satisfy those cravings with something else. And so it goes. Paul in, in Romans 7 said, said it like this, things I don't want to do, I do, and the things that I do want to do, I don't do. And he, gets, he goes, oh, wretched man that I am. It's reality. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying it's fine. I'm saying it's life and it's reality and we all go through it and we all experience it. We're not the final product yet. One day Jesus is teaching the crowd in parables, stories with sometimes hidden kind of meanings. And I can just imagine Peter listening intently to the parable, thinking, what does that mean? Kind of like us when we read the Bible sometimes, right? It's like, what does that mean? And Peter's like, oh, I don't, I don't understand. I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand what Jesus is saying here. What, what is he trying to, what's his point? And finally, Peter goes up to Jesus and he says, what's that mean, Lord? What, what are you talking about? And Jesus looks at him. And I love how the NIV puts it. He says, are you still so dull? The Greek word there means idiot. It means senseless, foolish, dull, my translation, idiot. Is that okay? Can I say that in church? Uh, Jesus looks at Peter and says, you idiot. Don't you understand? How long have you been with me and you don't get this? It's like, oh, well, sorry, Lord. Then another time Jesus talks to his, is talking to his disciples and, and people are saying, who, who is this? Who, the, who is this Jesus? Who is this prophet? And he looks at his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. Yes, he got that one right. But that's growth. 
We think we're doing so good, and then bam, out of nowhere, we succumb to temptation, we succumb to pride, we succumb to anger, we, su- we, we succumb to loss of self-control. We're idiots! But we keep putting off the old sinful things and putting on the lordship of Jesus, and we keep moving forward. And then we come to the third piece of this process, and I think this is the key point this morning. The process of our growth is a witness to others. If we're going to witness about the truth and the reality and the hope that's in Jesus, then people need to see the process in us. We can't present us as a perfect, finished, final product and, and, and go to people and say, see, come to Jesus and you can be like me. They're going to say, forget it. I have, I'm, you don't know how messed up I am. And we say, you know, in our pious way, oh, well, Jesus can fix anything. No, people need to see the process. Everybody knows they're messed up. I know I'm messed up. You know you're messed up. You just don't want me to know you're messed up. And I don't want you to know that I'm messed up, right? So we pretend that we're better than we are. Remember back in, in, in chapter 2 and verse 1, Peter tells us that we need to put away these sins, and deceit and hypocrisy are two of them. Here's a definition of hypocrisy. This is the kind of deceit in which persons pretend to be different from what they really are. So when we pretend to be the final product, when we pretend to be finished, when we pretend to have it all together, it's hypocrisy. It's sin. We need to let people see the struggle. We need to let people see the process. Those people who don't know Jesus need to see those of us who do know Jesus struggle with life issues, make mistakes, correct the mistakes, repent with grace, and then move on with life. I guarantee they're going to say, I can relate to that because I know I'm messed up. And those of us who are believers, it, 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 it doesn't do other believers any good to see me put on a facade like nothing is wrong. It's hypocrisy. And this might be a little soapbox, but I'm going to do it anyway. We've got to quit saying things like, well, you know, I'm not perfect. You ever said that? I have. So it's okay. You can admit it because you're in process. I'm going to correct that for you right now. Well, you know I'm not perfect. Like, we thought you were? <laughs> oh, shoot, I thought you were perfect. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, I didn't. It's like saying, well, you know I'm not dead. Well, yeah, I kind of figured that because we're talking. Okay, so why do we say, well, I'm, you know I'm not perfect. Why do we say that? I think it's because we fail. It's embarrassing. We've sinned. We've goofed up. We've made a mistake. We're embarrassed, we're ashamed. And so instead of confessing our actual failure, we cover it with like, well, I'm not perfect, you know. Instead of saying, I'm sorry, I I totally screwed up. I was absolutely wrong in what I did. So quit saying I'm not perfect. Dawn and I like ice cream once in a while because it tastes good. And, um, but we, we eat it in moderation. It's not always in the house. My dad had a bowl of ice cream every night before bed. 
and I want to be like my dad, but Don won't let me, so. Um, but this past weekend, she was gone. <laughs> you know where this is going already? I bought two cartons of ice cream and a bottle of hot fudge. <clears throat> and uh, I brought it home, and, and uh, this was just Monday night. This was six days ago. And I had a bowl, and I tasted that ice cream is good. And I had another bowl. And I had another bowl. And then I got convicted about it. I thought, that was so stupid. Total lack of self-control. And I was meeting with a group of guys the next morning, and I actually confessed it to them. I confessed it as the sin that it was because it was a lack of self-control. And I think what made it worse was the fact that I was hiding it from my wife. And I've confessed it to her. She's sitting here this morning. She already knows. So I could have said, well, I'm not perfect, you know. Sometimes I just eat too much ice cream. Or I could say, I completely failed in self-control and allowing Christ to be Lord over my eating. And that I chose to found satisfaction in ice cream rather than in Christ alone. Because there was a craving, there was a hunger, there was something that was good about that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't eat ice cream. Don't, don't hear that. But there was something where I just kept eating and eating and eating and eating. Trying to satisfy a hunger that only Jesus can satisfy. And, and yeah, that's embarrassing. It's humorous, whatever, but it's, it's sin. It's embarrassing. But I am not the finished product yet. I will make mistakes. I will sin. I do sin. I'm an idiot. And I'm sure Jesus was looking at me Monday night going, you idiot. You, you, why are you so dull? But it's the process of sinning and repenting and once again setting Jesus as Lord over my life. And as I do that, it is a witness to the power of God to change a life. And it's an encouragement to others to know that others struggle too. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but just whatever. How many of you are encouraged by that little story I just told? Thanks, Russell. Appreciate that. That's just... Because you're guilty, right? And see, our struggle is an it's a witness to the power of Jesus to change a life. There's an interesting story about Peter in Galatians chapter 2. It appears to take place at least 15 years after Jesus went back to heaven, maybe more. So arguably, Peter is an older, mature believer with years, maybe even decades of walking with Jesus. Maybe he's in his 50s by now, um, pillar of the church. He's preached great revivals. This guy is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a spiritual rock, <laughs> and they called him the rock. 
Look at this. Let me read this from Galatians 2. Paul is writing. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first he arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised, which is perfectly good. Because remember back in Acts, God revealed to Peter that it's okay to eat unclean animals because the gospel is going to everybody now. So it's fun. This, is, this was a good thing. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore because he was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. So Peter changed his ways, like, I'll eat with the Gentiles. Oh, now here comes these people that believe more in a Jewish way of things. I'm not going to eat with the Gentiles anymore because these guys will criticize me and think that I'm wrong. As a result of Peter's hypocrisy, other Jewish believers followed his hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. This is a mature, rock-solid father of the church, an apostle. And he blows it. Jesus said that Peter was the rock upon which he would build his church, and he did. This was the man who preached and, and thousands of people got saved. And as a mature believer, leader in the church, he still struggled with fear of man, as I do. But he was still in the process. He was still growing. He was still failing. He was still working on setting Christ apart as Lord over every area of his life. Even apostles and pastors are still in process. Look at Matthew 5.16, maybe with a little different twist here. In the same way, let your light shine. And, and, and just to kind of maybe say that a different way, live your life out loud, warts and all. Let your light shine. Now, appropriately, and let me just do a, another caveat here. I'm not saying we should just line up front here and get the microphone and start confessing all of our sins to everybody. There's an appropriate way to do this. There's an appropriate way to, to share our struggle with one another. But let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, the good works of being in the process of transformation, of putting off and putting on, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The process of growing is a witness to the power of God, and it brings glory to our Father in heaven. God's not looking down saying, I want perfection. You should be sinless. What's wrong? How come you've... How? He knows we're not. Now, that's the goal. That's where we're going to end up. Because a changed and changing life is a witness that there is hope. It's a beautiful foretaste. As we live out this process of growth, it's a beautiful foretaste of what the final transformation will look like. We get a foretaste of the finished product. Because we put off and we put on. We put off and we put on. We crave the milk of the word and we keep moving forward. Do you suppose Peter's embarrassed that we know his failures? How would you like some of your greatest mistakes to be written down in a book that will be read by millions of people over thousands of years and in fact will last forever? Any takers? I thought about this week, is Peter embarrassed that we know all these things about him? Or do you think he realizes 
and embraces that his own process of growth brings glory to God. And that he, as he sits in heaven, if he can see us this morning, I don't know if he can, he is encouraged that his mistakes encourage us to keep pressing on. And that his mistakes and his process of growth is a witness to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Probably the worst thing we know about Peter is after three years of walking with Jesus, claiming him as the only Messiah, Lord, I will die with you, I will go with you, you're the only one who has the words of life, you are the Messiah. The night before Jesus was to be killed, when a little servant girl says, hey, you are with Jesus, you're one of his. And we can figure out that Peter had a, a weakness of fear of man or little girls. And, he's, and he cursed and he swore and says, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. Three times, he absolutely denies that he even knows this Messiah. And immediately, Peter realized what he had done. And he went out and he cried like a baby. Clearly broken, clearly repentant. It's a man in process. Just weeks later, Peter is preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit and thousands of people are getting saved. He absolutely refuses to back down even when faced with persecution and imprisonment. Do what you want to me. The fear of man is gone. I mean, it came back 15 years later and probably other times along the way, but right now he's in the power of the Spirit preaching fearlessly. How could Peter deny Jesus one month and the next month preach so fearlessly? He put off his fear and he put on the power of the Holy Spirit. He made Christ Lord of his life. He made Christ Lord of his fears. And everything was different. It's an ongoing, lifelong process. And it's a huge witness to the world of what Jesus can do as he changes our lives gradually. I'm so encouraged by Peter's mistakes because there's mistakes in my life. But God used Peter greatly, and he can use me greatly. He can use you greatly. He uses flawed, sinful people because there's none others to work with. And so he can use you even when you make mistakes and think, oh, I'm not worthy, I, I, I can't do this. Yes, you can. Yes, he can in you. We just need to be willing. Don't waste your growth process. Let people see the process in your life of setting apart Christ as Lord. And something else this does is it, I hope, causes us to be more gracious with other people when we see them make mistakes. And we want to say, you idiot. Well, maybe they are, but say it in love. Can you do that? Say you're an idiot in love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Oh, we make mistakes. Oh, we fail. And we hit our heads against the wall and we say, we should have known, we should know better. We should know this by now. Lord, let us live out loud in such a way that people are encouraged to keep making Christ Lord of their life, to keep bringing every action underneath your lordship 
to, to realize there is hope that, yes, there's, there's mistakes along the way, but there is hope that Jesus Christ will transform us into what and who we will someday be. We look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen.